The Syracuse Sports Podcast is presented by the Bill Rapp Superstore. Yeah, Brian and Bruce, they're probably pretty nervous like you guys about the orange. Are they in? Are they out? It's driving us crazy. How about you get out that anxiety by buying a new car? And Brian and Bruce are the guys to make it happen for you and anybody on the great crew at the Bill Rapp Superstore. Get online at BillRapp.com and you can check out all the great deals. It's an all-star shopping experience always. Credit approved, value for your trade. You can calculate your payments online. You always get a great deal. And it's always the smart choice at the Bill Rapp Superstore. There's a great line in the movie Ocean's Eleven. George Clooney walks into a bar and he slams a plane ticket in front of Matt Damon and he says, you're either in or you're out right now. I think that's how Syracuse basketball fans feel with Selection Sunday looming. Now, we don't know if the Orange are in or out. Jerry Palm of CBSSports.com says they're in. Joe Lenardi of ESPN says they're out. The Bracket Matrix has them the first four out. Depending on who you put your bracketology faith into, Syracuse is the consummate bubble team. What do they have going for them? Well, their strength of schedule is great. It's ranked in the top 21 in the country. Their RPI is 41. Their BPI is 52. Their Ken Palm rating is 55. What does Syracuse have going against it? Well, we're not quite sure how much the selection committee is going to use the new quadrant system, but we know it's going to be used. So what we know is quadrant three and quadrant four wins don't really do you any good. And Syracuse Of their 20 wins, 14 are in quad three and quad four. Syracuse does have three quadrant one wins, two of those on the road. This is why this whole quadrant system was invented, to emphasize wins on the road. Well, Syracuse beat Louisville on the road. Syracuse beat Miami on the road. Syracuse beat Clemson at home, which to date is their only ranked win in the top 25 this season. Buffalo may or may not turn into a quadrant one win, but is Syracuse's NCAA tournament fate really going to rest on Buffalo? No, is the answer to that question, nor should it. Now, Syracuse doesn't have any bad losses per se. The two that stand out are really Georgia Tech and Wake Forest, but the committee will certainly put that into consideration. It's the ACC. Everybody loses a conference game or two that they shouldn't. Unless you're Pittsburgh, who lost every conference game, but that's a whole different topic for a different day. The issue with Syracuse is they don't have any marquee wins. They don't have any wins that they can walk in that room and say, that's why we deserve to be in this tournament. That would have been North Carolina. And you could say, well, that's a conference tournament win. How much would that really play into this whole thing, considering it is the committee's job to look at four months of basketball, not three or four days of basketball in a conference tournament. If anything, Syracuse is the perfect candidate for the play-in game. Now, I hate the play-in game. I hate the whole concept of the play-in game because of what I just said. We had four months to figure this out. And if that's not good enough, you probably shouldn't be in the tournament. It's gimmicky, it's ridiculous, and it could be Syracuse's last hope. If, say, Jerry Palm of CBS Sports is right and Syracuse is one of the last four in, meaning they go to Dayton, Ohio, would you rather watch that on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night next week or watch the NIT on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night next week. These things kind of answer themselves, right? Syracuse fans are looking for anything to quantify that the Orange deserve to be in the tournament. And that's just it. Nobody deserves a tournament bid. You earn a tournament bid. And for the fourth straight year, Syracuse is sitting here in the days leading up to Selection Sunday, wondering what their fate is going to be. In 2015, we knew what their fate would be because Syracuse had a self-imposed ban on the NCAA tournament. In 2016, Syracuse barely got in. 
and a lot of experts, Joe Lenardi included, said they weren't going to get in. All they did that year as a 10 seed was go to the Final Four. Last year, Syracuse just didn't have the resume to get in. Road Syracuse just didn't have the resume to get in. They didn't have enough road wins. They had a few bad losses on the resume, and it bit them at the end. What happens Sunday? Well, maybe my next guest can give us a little perspective on that. Patrick Stevens, bracketologist extraordinaire, will tell us the teams we've got to watch the next few days sitting on the bubble with the Orange, how their resume stacks up, and just how important this quadrant thing is going to be. Patrick, Syracuse loses to North Carolina at the ACC tournament. It would have been, in the minds of many, a very declarative move for the Orange to maybe get in the last four in category solidly. Let's let's play what if a little bit here. If we're talking here on Thursday morning about a Syracuse win over North Carolina, what would that have meant for the Orange's NCAA tournament chances? I, I think it would have put them solidly in the field. Maybe, maybe they might have gotten squeezed into Dayton by things that happened over the course of the next few days, but you know that would have been a that would have been a high end victory on a neutral floor. And let's not let's not forget they would have had a chance to play again tonight. So uh, you know it's it's certainly I would I would not call it a bad loss by any stretch, but it, it's certainly a missed opportunity. And Syracuse, as a result, leaves its fate in the hands of the committee as it has the last two years. So let's look at Syracuse's resume, Patrick. What are the strengths and the weaknesses that the Orange have standing on their own in the eyes of the committee? Well, I, I think you look at the, some of the, the road performances so far this season. That's something that wasn't there last year and is this year. They, they have a decent collection of victories. They've played a really good non-conference schedule, even if people don't necessarily give them credit for it. And part of that, you know, people get get intoxicated at the thought of, oh, you got you go play like three or four you know, Blue Bloods uh, at the top of the schedule. The way to build a good schedule is to not play bad teams. And even some of the teams that Syracuse traditionally plays, uh, like a Cornell or a Colgate, were better this year uh, than what they've typically been over the last few years. I mean, Colgate had a great season uh, finishing second in the Patriot League, and as a result, I mean, that's not a game that, that hurts them in any way. So those are the pluses. The minuses are, you know... <sighs> You look at that, they didn't beat Virginia, they didn't beat Duke, they didn't beat North Carolina, they did get Clemson, that was a solid victory at home, but the high-end stuff generally really wasn't there, and you know, at some point when you pile up enough losses, and not all losses are equal, but that makes you a dicier proposition, so... You know, I, I think one of the good things for Syracuse, it does have a couple questionable losses. The loss at Georgia Tech, the loss at Wake Forest, both stand out. So it's not like they've done nothing that you would, you would hold against them. But they don't have too much that's truly egregious. And I think ultimately if Syracuse makes it, it's going to make it on the strength of not having that much bad to their name. I mean, they're kind of like Louisville in that way. They have more wins than Louisville. Louisville doesn't have those dicey losses to Georgia Tech and Wake. But they're kind of similar that way in, in, the, in that they didn't really do a whole lot bad uh, to disqualify themselves over the course of the season. So now uh, Syracuse's fate may be in the hands of other teams that are sitting on the bubble and trying to fight their way in. Who are some of the key teams Orange fans should keep an eye on here over the stretch of the next few days, Patrick? Uh, in the ACC, Louisville for sure. Uh, you would have to say Baylor, Kansas State, and the Big 12 uh, you would be looking at Alabama out of the SEC uh, as the most notable team in that league. Uh, you'd be looking at teams like Notre Dame and Oklahoma State 
that are kind of lurking and, and, and are trying to make kind of these late stealth runs. And then Marquette and Providence in the Big East. I mean, those are the ones that immediately come to mind. And maybe even Utah out in the Pac-12 will have a chance if they can make a push out there. So there's a lot of teams still in play. I don't. The funny thing is there's a lot of teams still in play that could play their way out. I don't know how many there are really that could play their way in at this point. It's, it's really kind of after you get past out of 36 at-large teams on the at-large board, after you get past about 41 or 42, the, the pickings are pretty slim. So, you know, there's certainly teams that can play their way out. But if you see like a Marquette beat a, a Villanova or something like that, that's not a good sign for the Orange. Patrick, we spoke a couple weeks ago, and I asked you about the quadrant system. And, and one thing you noted was, you know, we're kind of fooling ourselves if we know just how this is going to apply until we see how the committee does apply it on Selection Sunday. So what I'm wondering in that vein is two things. Have we learned any more about this as we get closer to the tournament? One. And two, Syracuse, of their 20 wins, 14 out of those are quadrant three or four. So I'm kind of curious how that's going to factor into the committee's decision-making as well. Yeah, you, you look at that, and that's not exactly the strongest top of a profile. And, and, and you know, when you're getting to the edge of the field, everybody's going to have their warts. Uh, you know, like Louisville's kind of in the, in the same boat. Um, you look at a team, uh, you know, like a Notre Dame, they have, they have some shaky losses that, that kind of hold them down a little bit. But, you know, to answer your first question, I, I really genuinely don't think we'll know what that quadrant system means until we have a set of data spit out at the end to kind of compare it against. And then, frankly, we'll have that, and it'll be kind of going into next year, assuming they don't make any more changes to the selection system. It will be a situation where you say, maybe this is what they're looking for. or Ultimately, you need multiple data points to make a kind of astute uh, and correct analysis of anything. So you could, you'll have a better guess, I think, as to what they're looking at uh, come Sunday night. But I, I'm not sure that we're going to really know until we get a couple years' worth of data points what they really, really want. Patrick, uh, Syracuse fans, I think, are in a position where they can't kick and scream if this team doesn't get in. I think they're kind of at the point where they're just going to accept their fate. That being said... Because we have the first four and the play-in game rounds, it seems to me Syracuse is the perfect candidate for the first four. We've gone, you know, 33 games in here, and I'm still not quite sure if they belong. It's like I almost need another game to determine that. So just on the surface, do you agree that maybe this is a team that fits the profile for a first four for something like that? Yeah, I mean, they're they're not an overwhelming at-large candidate by, by any stretch of the imagination, but... You know, you could toss them into a flip a coin situation against a like a Providence or a Marquette or or somebody of that ilk or an Alabama, uh, and just kind of see how things shake out from there. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I I think that if you're a Syracuse fan, you can't really argue it and be too upset if they're sent to Dayton. You can't be really all that upset if they don't make it at all. At the end of the day, it's it's been a team that has its limitations and is as frankly kind of played about the way you would expect a team that has those sorts of limitations to play. I don't see it as a, as a team that's particularly overachieving or underachieving. I think they've, they've done about what you would have expected, and you know it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up in Dayton and played a, a really tight game against somebody. Patrick, always appreciate your time and your insight. Enjoy these last few days of Bubble Watch, my friend. How about a shout-out to a team that's never on the bubble, the Bill Rapp Superstore. Brian and Bruce, those guys bleed orange. They love talking hoops with you. And they're celebrating the season with slam dunk deals 
Boom, basketball reference. New Subarus, Buicks, GMCs. You can get live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. How about credit approved, value on your trade? You can calculate your payments online. That's a good idea. Get on BillRap.com and figure it out there because you always get a great deal. It's always the smart choice. And you can shop online at BillRap.com. Syracuse basketball fans may have missed a really good piece by former Post Standard reporter Pete Thamel, who now writes for Yahoo Sports. Pete caught up with Jim Beheim after Syracuse's win over Wake Forest earlier this week at the ACC tournament. And the subject that's on everybody's mind in college basketball came up. Sure, the FBI investigation and looming sanctions on several programs will hover over the NCAA tournament. But what this has also done, given the payments that allegedly went through went to players through agents, or allegedly went through even Arizona coach Sean Miller. The issue of paying college athletes has never been more prevalent than right here, right now. In the article with Pete, Beheim recommended former Big East Associate Commissioner Dan Gavitt as sort of a czar for college basketball. Gavitt is currently the NCAA Vice President of Men's Basketball. Beheim saying, quote, he'd have control over what we could do in college basketball. Danny will listen to everyone and come up with stuff. He'd be perfect. Dan is the son of former Big East Commissioner Dave Gavitt, who Jim Beheim holds very close to his heart so you can see why he values his opinion. Beheim suggested a summer basketball takeover by the NBA, USA Basketball, and the NCAA for around 400 players, not just the elite players that you hear could be one and dones. Jim was not a big fan of the NBA's G League becoming an alternative to high-end college basketball. The maximum G League salary is $26,000, and Beheim said, and I quote, where would you go, Duke or Idaho? Is that even a question? I don't care what they're paying you. It doesn't matter. Beheim suggested that agents should be allowed to contact players in the 10th grade and deal with agents openly prior to coming to college, saying, quote, I'm all for letting them get an agent, talk to an agent, and do some deals. It'll be a mess, but let them do it and come out to the draft when they want. But maybe the most surprising thing that came out of the conversation with Pete was that Beheim seemed to agree that maybe some form of the Olympic model in which players can profit off image and likeness should be considered. Beheim drew the line at directly paying players because of budget reasons, pointing out that there's 4,000 players in college basketball and only about 100 of the supremely talented players would make significant money. Forbes recently reported that the NCAA's operating revenue for last year was $1.1 billion, with a bulk of that money coming from their television deal with CBS. That turned out a $105 million profit. Now, in a utopian college basketball society, that money would be funneled to all college athletes. But we all know that's not going to happen. The point that Jim Beheim makes, and the one that should be focused in this conversation, is on those quote-unquote elite players, the players that can profit off their likeness, the players who exceed what their scholarship value is at a certain school. The Olympic model is the one college sports should take on. It will not solve all their problems, but it will solve some of the problems. Why shouldn't a player, like, for example, Tyus Battle at Syracuse, be able to sign autographs at a local business, appear in a car commercial, why can't I go to a local shop like Manny's, buy Tyus Battle's jersey or t-shirt, and he gets a cut of that money? 
That's the Olympic model. You don't get paid directly for being an Olympic athlete, but you are allowed to accept endorsements. Now, would this create maybe a little jealousy amongst teammates? Because as talented as Tyus Battle is, and is bound for the NBA someday, when he's at Syracuse, everybody's even, because they're all on scholarship and nobody's worth more than the other. But it's 2018, the NCAA, Syracuse University, and any major college makes boatloads of money off these players. It's time that the talent, those that make these schools in the NCAA their money, see a cut of the action. That's the Syracuse Sports Podcast for this week. I'm Brent Dax. Please subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to get the latest episodes sent right to your phone, your iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time.